Welcome to the show, everyone. This is episode 196 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. I'm Rugby Reg, and that was the Rugby World Cup. Phew, it's been a period. Uh, Fantastic tournament. We're going to get stuck well and truly into it and dig deep into that Rugby World Cup final. Uh, But uh, first, I want to recognise our sponsor, Dropbox. And remember that Green and Gold Rugby is supported by Dropbox, which is trusted by 8 million Australians to keep their files safe, synced and easy to share with anyone. Australian companies such as Bauer Media Group, Campaign Monitor, Shoes of Prey, Bellroy and Suntory all use Dropbox for business to help their team members work together no matter where they are or what tools they use. So get your whole team on Dropbox for business today and keep your information easy to manage and secure with a 30-day trial. Try it for free at dropbox.com slash business. And we are going to get down to business with two of the best, Matt Gagger, Matt Rowley, and Hugh Cavill. Let's start with you, Matt. How are you, Matt? How have you survived this post-World Cup, I guess, drain? Oh, still pretty low, mate. It's uh, just low energy, I think. Uh, we were just saying when we got on the call just now. doesn't have that buzz. I don't know how much of it is because of what happened on the weekend. I don't know if it's just because this whole part of our life is gone. Um, it's, been a lo- it's been a long six weeks. I, th- I think I've got Stockholm syndrome or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, we better bring our other guest in, Hugh Cavill. Hugh, how are you coping? Feeling much the same? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm not disappointed or sad. I suppose just fatigued, if anything. It's been a long tournament, and it's been a few years. You know, it's been a long time since Aussie rugby fans have had to pay attention for the- through the full six weeks. Normally, we can clock out you know, uh, a couple of weeks before the end. But um, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's this kind of weird feeling at the moment of satisfaction, but, you know, obviously without that euphoria of having the win and, you know, it, it, it's nice to have those nice statements of of how far we've come, but, you know, we still lost at the end of the day, so so it's um, it's not ideal, is it? Hey, Matt, remind us, when did, when did Green and Gold Rugby, you know, birth? You know, when did it all get started? Well, it was 2007, yeah, so it was eight years ago. Yeah, right. So, you know, this was, this is the height of Australia's success in the history of green and gold rugby. This is, you know, this is the highest we've been in terms of, you know, I think this is the, the you know, a year the most successful Wallaby team we've had and to reach a World Cup final. So when we talk about being exhausted, I think, you know, <laughs> Matt, Hugh, myself, Jamie, you know, Force fan, a few guys have... Are, are literally exhausted from trying to keep the content coming and, and, and watching all the games and endless, you know, endless contributors. Um, and I think it was captured really well in Jamie's article. But uh, it, it is odd coming to the end of it all. And um, and uh, I don't think it's it's definitely not the result we uh, we wanted. But it's, I don't think it's the result that's leaving us down. I think it's just the the fact that perhaps our body clocks are finally catching up on us. Yeah, look, I mean, you, you, that's a really good point you made there, though, Reg. It feels like it's been a bit of a journey. We've all been on this one. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, well, look, by, by trying to mention some more people, I'll miss other people. Yeah, yeah. Grumpy Jack um, did a yes. fantastic job. The number of kind of late-night reviews he did. Um, uh, you know, the, the Mitchell brothers, um, yes. Bobus and Alex have come in, and they've done fantastic stuff as well with the NRC at the same time. Um, there's a whole bunch of guys that... that uh, New contributor Richard, who's been talking to Brian Smith and brought Brian into the equation, that was fantastic as well. Um, look, you know, by saying that I'm 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 already missing people, um, Zaveria who came on board as well. Look, there's been a whole bunch of people. All of you guys have been listening. Um, some really nice thoughts put on response to Jamie's article and some of the other articles over the last few days, um, talking about how people have really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, I think we've all enjoyed the ride as well. It's just it's. It's it's been a long and exhausting one. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into the game now. We'll talk about various elements. Can I ask the question of you both? Are you, you have you watched it again? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't. I suppose what's well, Monday today, isn't it? Uh, Sunday was just catching up on sleep and seeing loved ones 
again for the first time in six weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I haven't had a chance to watch it since I got home. Uh, I, I think I probably will um, at some point during the week, but I'm not sure I'm quite ready to yet. I might just start off, ease myself in and watch that, you know, the, the middle 20 minutes of that second <laughs> half, maybe. <laughs> I'll start with that and work back. But, uh, yeah, definitely want to. I think it was it was a good game, so probably worth worth another watch. Yeah, I'm the same. I haven't watched it yet either. Matt, what about you? No, I haven't, mate. Yeah. And I must admit, getting up at something to three in the morning to watch a game of rugby is quite a different... I almost had like an out-of-body experience kind of watching it. It just kind of went... It was almost just like a bad dream that I was in. Well, let's uh, talk about that quickly. What was your World Cup final watching experience, Matt? What what'd you do? Who were you with? Uh, well, just it was on the sofa. Um, uh, yeah, went yeah. So went to bed not that early, actually about eleven, I guess. And then me, because I've got an eleven-year-old son, yeah. and he was determined he was going to watch it with me, so I couldn't go to a pub or anything. Um, not that I think I would have. I just don't know how I would have got through that. Yeah. But then I, then I had a good old mate of mine, Brendan, from school, came around with his son, and we all sat there and actually cracked a couple of beers. Did you really? Yeah. What about yourself, Red? Well, it was interesting. We were much the same. I was I got a 12-year-old son, and, and he was keen to watch it. I had concerns because he had a an early game of cricket the next day, and, and that was called off, I think, uh, Saturday afternoon, so or Friday afternoon. So that was great. That meant that was out of the out of the way. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the week, one of my old good buddies as well sort of called me and said, mate, we should be doing something, should we? Are we boring old men now? We, you know, we've always got together for these World Cup finals. So uh, I ended up with three of my mates coming over. My whole family got up except for my four-year-old daughter. Uh, and it was a great experience. We really loved it. It was, you know, didn't know how to cater for it. Like you say, we actually had pikelets. One of the guys brought over pikelets for us for the middle of the night. But um, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was a great experience. And I, and I will sort of remember very fondly um, the uh, when... Tavita went over for his try, and you know we were back into it. And my three boys, you know, launching themselves from the couch, thinking, you know, we've got a chance. And you know, hopefully they'll remember this moment as well, despite the loss. But as a, a, a one of those fond memories of their early rugby experiences. Yeah. What are you about you, Mr. Cavill? Footloose and fancy free. Oh yeah. Well, um, we were me and a couple of mates went to the uh, to the Royal Oak in Double Bay, um, which was you know we we got there pretty early because we thought. As one of the few rugby pubs open, it, it would get pretty chocker. So we got there about 11. Um, so had a qu- quite four hours to kill. It's interesting. About half the crowd there were dressed up in Halloween costumes and the other half were dressed in either Wallabies or All Blacks gear. Um, and, yeah, it, once the sort of one – about 1 a.m., 2 a.m., there was a bit of a changeover in the crowd from the people that were there for just a regular Saturday night to, to the rugby fans and – Start, we staked out a good spot, and in the end, it was fantastic. It, just having so many people there in the atmosphere, and and I thought at halftime, oh, you know, we might see a few people leaving, and just because of the way the game was going, and uh, everyone stayed with it, and and then when you know when Tavita Kurandrani scored that try, the atmosphere was incredible, and everyone just kind of looking at one another, thinking, geez, shit, we might we might actually do this, do this here, and, and it wasn't to be at the end, but. Um, yeah, I mean, the downside of that was then having about a thousand people out on the street at five in the morning, and there were no cabs or anything. So we all walk up the hill to the station and then try to get home that way. But um, it was, uh, it, yeah, it, it was a great experience and good to be around other people watching it like that. All right, well, let's try and recap our thoughts. I guess you know, none of us have dared watch it a second time. But uh, uh, Hugh, early start. Can you recall your, you know, your, your thoughts from the early start? I. I must admit when uh, I think Nonu sliced through pretty easy from some really poor Kurandrani read, I don't know what happened there. He almost just put his head down for the tackle but didn't watch where he was going and Nonu sliced through. I, I really started to get quite concerned there. I mean, I think historically when we've had a good win over the All Blacks, you know, you've known it from the kickoff. I, I, you know, you remember that uh, yeah. 2003 semi-final when it was just amazing. We we just didn't give up the ball, and you know, the, the, the very similar back in 1991, and it was just you know we controlled things from the start. So I must admit I had a you know quite little doubt in the back of my mind that when things didn't click from the start, that oh maybe this isn't going to be the night. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, it was you know, hindsight's a marvelous thing, but but that, I think you know 10 to 15 minutes in, you, you were. Going shit, you know. I, even even early ten minutes in, I, I think I turned to my mate and said, "I, I have, a, I just just got this this feeling. It's not our day." Because um, they were just 
dot, you know, that it was, okay, so there's little things like, so our opening kickoff, which we've been kicking so well, yeah. you know, um, down into that sort of deep into the 22 with hang time, we just, we kicked it straight to the, the All Blacks pod with Sam Whitelock, you know, who, who just jumped up and took it pretty easily. Uh, and even that was, got me going, oh, I don't know why we did that or whether we were supposed to do that. And then it just kind of, they just kind of easily kind of plowed down the field and you kind of thought, oh, oh no, they're, they're, they're on today and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bastard to try and keep up with them. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you're exactly right and I felt the same and, and you know, I think, well, I don't know, I can't remember the exact timing, but still, was it first quarter? It was still only 3 all, maybe 6-3, and I was like, oh, God, you know, all we need is that guts. That's when I started to recall Wales and all that sort of stuff, you know. This is a team that can hang with these guys. Um, and, uh, you know, that kept me hoping. Matt, what are, what's your early recollections of this game? Yeah, I mean, it was that, I think it was, I think I mentioned it on the podcast last week, was that I saw a bit of analysis from some Kiwi rugby show um, and it was talking about how our kind of spot defenders were leaving gaps that the All Blacks would offload into and when that started coming true I think in you know the first few minutes I thought oh shit um, you know this this could really go wrong um, to be fair though you know we had all that and then what was it, it was 6-3 about yeah. 30 minutes in yep. I thought geez how have we managed to do this you know this is all right and um, you know if we can just we look shell-shocked um, that thing sort of happened to checkers teams where the other team's just too far up for it um, and is playing really aggressive in defence and at the breakdown and you know you, you just start getting caught behind the game line the whole time everyone suddenly looks really deep um, you know that started to happen and I just thought oh geez you know this this could be a bit rough um, and I thought maybe we we're going to get through it and then there was that you know score just before half time. Um, and then the other bit, which kind of had happened in the lead up to that, which was, I mean, we're going to come on to the refing, and I just thought, oh, the, you know, because the other thing we'd been dreading was what's going to happen with Owens, and you know, just when his decisions or non-decisions, and let's be, it's just the way he refs, you know, which is kind of a bit of a, you know, you know, the, the smaller laws can go by the wayside. Um, you just kind of thought, ah, oh, you know, they've got to roll on, you know, what's going to happen here. And, you know, then the try went on and it was like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be pushing shit uphill. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. I mean, uh, there's a couple of points I want to touch on there. I, I'm not big on refs. I'm not, a, I'm not you know, I, it's interesting when I hear people talk about the different approaches of different refs. I, I never really follow it, the, the referee that closely to pick that up, but I was intrigued as to a lot of the reporting early on and that Owens was this fanboy. And I must admit, the first time, very early on, when both captains were out there, and I think it might have been might have been Pocock and Moore at the same time, we're having a chat to Owens, and Owens was just, yeah, cut them off. Stephen, no, no, Stephen, no. And just, mm. and I was thought, oh, you know, he is our captain. He's entitled to say something. And then sort of turned around, and I won't say he smiled toward the All Blacks, but he, you know, what are you guys going to do now? And he awarded them a captain. I just had that feeling of... Um, well, okay, maybe you know the guys are right. This is this is this is going to, might be a tough night for us. But you talk about uh, whether it was a turning point. But I guess things going the way was um, Kieran Reid going down injured, and and you know no one wishes injury on anyone. But you know it's it's all or nothing in a World Cup final. I was like, oh well, that is going to be a big blow for for the All Blacks. Kieran Reid going off, and he struggled on, and then next minute, you know. Kane Douglas goes down in, in a similar way and he doesn't recover and he's off. You know, that's what's yeah. in the 15th minute and I was just like, that's unbelievable. You know, Kane Douglas, who has been fantastic for us of late and such mm-hmm. a crucial player, fulfills such a great role and that was just significant. And then obviously about, what was it, 10 minutes later, Guido was gone. So yeah. those are just two massive blows. Well, when you know that, you know, how important our finishes had been, yeah. you know, for us all year and then that's two gone. You know, because, you know, you're going to have to have two on the field. You just start to go, ah, oh, bugger. You know, that's another thing that we're, you know, we're going to be pushing, you know, pushing shit uphill for the rest of this. Um, I'm dominating a bit here and, uh, you know, I'm going to let you speak in a minute, Hugh. But um, you know, just going back to the Owens thing there, uh, um, my, uh, when I was living in the UK, my um, only three years ago, my son was playing at London Welsh and uh, in the minis there and a great club. And great people really love uh, the Welsh guys. Um, and what was interesting, we went on a tour down to Wales. And, you know, I didn't realise this, but then 
different, like England minis versus Welsh minis versus, you know, Scotland or whatever else and Ireland and even France, they all play different rules. Um, and what was interesting in the Welsh guys is basically they play pretty much no rules. So they, you know, they won't blow up knock-ons. They don't blow up forward passes. It's basically they try and make it quite freeform. And I guess that's to encourage that whole Welsh, you know, kind of uh, running rugby thing that, you know, Gatlin's managed to stamp out. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, but that was quite interesting. And I couldn't help but think when you watched how Owen's kind of refs, there's that a big chunk of that in there, which is, ah, oh, yeah, fuck it. It's just a knock on. Let, let the play run on. Um, and because, because, and it sounds ridiculous, but how many times did he do it? Mm. I mean, it was just crazy. Mm. Um, that, that, I think that kind of goes into Owen's makeup. And then I think the other bit is, um, I think a lot of the Celtic nations have an, uh, an unhealthy respect or respect for the All Blacks, um, which I guess is based on the fact that they've n- literally never beaten them. Um, and I think they put a lot of that, you know, these guys are deities to some of these guys. And I really do think it comes through in these, because these are rugby loving guys, right? That's why they ref. And they've been watching the All Blacks forever and they really do have the All Blacks on a pedestal. And I, you know, I, I think you take a, a pinch of this and a pinch of that and then you see what you see from what you saw on Owens. And I don't think he went into that game thinking, I'm going to make this, I'm going to, you know, make the All Blacks win. I don't think that for a second. I just think that's his style of refereeing and that's his impression of their game and, and all the rest of it. And that's really not good for us. I mean, we need technical referees like a Barnes who will call penalty after penalty if that team keeps infringing and looks to referee to the letter of the law. Having said that, it was Barnes on the sideline who yeah, <laughs> let that forward pass. So, so what do I know? I think the thing about Owens is, and, and in many ways this separates him from Craig Joubert, um, is going into that game and you could see it with some of the decisions that he made, he was desperate not to have an impact on the result. Um, and he shied away from making a couple of big calls where, you know, a, a, another ref might have put Sakopi Kepu in the sim yeah, bin after the, not after the late tackle, but after the, the high tackle, you know, one, yeah. second one. Um, and even Ben Smith, which, you know, that, that was a pretty clear lifting tackle, um, you know, a, 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 an easy yellow card. He armed an art over that decision for a long time, and his first instinct was just to give a penalty. Um and a few other little things and that explains, I suppose, you know, the knock-on forward pass kind of things that he missed. You know, more nitpicky refs would have blown up. And I but think he was just so desperate to, knock on is to not-, not to be the guy that, that sort of turns the game for better or worse. So when it was a marginal decision, like, or an off, you know, the accidental offside or a knock, something that looked like it could have been a knock-on, um, he he kind of tended to put the whistle in the pocket. And it was the same with Ben Smith's knock-on that we kicked our penalty goal from in the first half. That that was a touch-judge call. He, he actually called that as play on. Mm. So uh, I think, you know, he, he's obviously very keen just to kind of get the hell out of the way and try and let the team settle it. And and that can that can run your way when when you're the one making a 50-50 knock-ons. But in, in that case, it, you know, in the final, it wasn't us. And, and most of it, especially in that 10-minute period before the end of the first half, uh, you know, two or three decisions just kind of racked up, and um, it, it certainly fell in the All Blacks' uh, favour. Yeah, you, you talk about that time, and let's talk about um, you know, you talk about good teams like the All Blacks, and in any code, and they, it's that uh, the last five minutes. It's cliched the last five minutes before half time, the first five minutes after half time, and you know, with five minutes to go in this game, it was six three to the All Blacks. All of a sudden, it's a penalty. It's a converted try. They start the second half. It's another try. And, you know, five minutes into the second half, all of a sudden, it's 21-3. 15 points and 10 minutes either side of half time. Mm-hmm. A couple of minutes after and, that. And, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. And look, at the end of the day, the thing about Owens is there was some a bit of eye up. Yeah, there's been some stuff on social media, as there tends to be with this. But at the end of the day, you know, the better team won. He didn't have an, an effect on it overall. Um I think, but um, but he certainly didn't have his best game. That that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you, you're right. I, I, I guess the point I was trying to say is that ten minutes. That's where those that the cream rises. That's what the All Blacks oh, did, yeah. and and I think they you know they really punished us. And you talk about perhaps Owens not having his best game. I I didn't think this was the Wallabies' best game by any means. Some of the the, the basic drop ball and turnover was just too soft and and really disappointing. For them, you know, I, I, as much yeah. as anyone. That, 
you're right, Reg, and the All Blacks were superb, and, and they exploited our weaknesses perfectly. And, and we did let them into the game a little bit with our probably a bit of inaccuracy in defence. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of soft missed tackles and people falling off those first... As, you know, that first contact. And yeah. our defensive system, which is so reliant on these guys shooting out of the line, you've got to make those tackles. And so often we had the guys shooting out and then missing the tackle. And as soon as you do that, you, you open yourself up uh, to a lot of trouble. And, and that's what happened. We just missed that, you know, we lost that 2 or 3% accuracy in defence and, 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 it, and it really cost us, especially around that halftime where, you know, we made a couple of errors back-to-back and, and, and that's two tries like that. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the bit that I think we all saw it was that, you know, and the thing that you hope to get out of a checker team is that kind of run-through-brick-wall type physicality, um, and it didn't turn up. And in its place, we got, you know, inaccuracy, um, as you guys were saying, you know, just lots of, you know, just either poor decisions or, or just errors. And I didn't know whether that was because, and maybe it was a combination of both, right? I didn't know if that was because um, they were just knackered for some reason. Uh, I don't know if the training schedule wasn't right. I don't know if it was the pool of death. You know, hard to say. Uh, so I don't know, I didn't know if it was that, that they just had, you know, iron legs, um, but or whether it was that, um, you know, that just the hype had got to them. And, you know, rather than it turning into a positive force, it had turned into a thing that just kind of clouded everyone's imagination and or everyone's thinking and, you know, suddenly we were doing the wrong stuff. But, you know, as everyone said, you know, five minutes in, you just thought, oh, hang on a minute. We're just not winning the collisions here by a long way, and this is going to be a long night. Yeah, yeah I, but they did, we didn't make too many mistakes, though, in attack, did we? I mean, we uh, just looked a bit flat. It I, wasn't like we were throwing wild Hail Mary passes. and We didn't you know, have the ball. Yeah, we didn't have the ball. <laughs> well, 30% fair, possession, wasn't it, in the first half? That was crazy. Yeah, but I, I just I remember some of those soft turnovers. I remember Mitchell getting turned over a couple of times. I think Kurandrani dropped the ball a couple of times. And there's a few of those things. And, and, and Matt, and I think you you know sort of posed the question. You're right. I think they looked tired. And, and my feeling it might have just been it's a, it's been a tough tournament. And we you know that's what is this one two three four five really tough games in a row. Um, you know, taking Fiji out of it even five really tough games in a row all the way to the World Cup with added intensity every step of the way. Um, mm. That's a that's a, a big effort. And, and the All Blacks perform under pressure. And, and I, I just remember thinking that the difference in their ability to execute basic skills, some of their interchange of passing with their offloads, which is down the blind with their forwards and backs, just so far surpassed what we were capable of doing at the time and it was mm. it was uh, uh, you know, quite apparent from my perspective. They just looked really fresh, didn't they? I yeah. mean, they just... They didn't look like they'd been playing in a tournament, to be fair. So put yourself in, you know, where you were on Sunday morning at, uh, you know, five minutes after halftime with a score at 21-3. What are, you, what are you thinking? Because my thoughts were, shit, this is going to be a space job and we're going to undo all the good work that we've done this week with the Wallabies and everyone that's on the bandwagon is going to just come, you know, jump off at a rapid rate and... You know, we'll have squandered this great opportunity to convert fans, and I was, you know, exactly uh, right. Great... I was, I was right there with you. I was, I was mm. fearing the worst. I thought, okay, back to the bad old days. We've, we've scraped through Argentina, all that Scotland. Okay, maybe in reality, we're just not up to this. And and I feared, yeah, a, a France, maybe not as bad as France, but I feared the worst. Yeah. Definitely, and then we saw that, and then we saw that push over, um, that uh, that yep. drive, and you, which was really great effort. Um, they kind of changed direction about three times, kept it really tight. Um, I think I put it out on Twitter. I mean, I, my thought was, you know, maybe that's what we've been practicing all week, yeah. um, because uh, nothing else seemed to be working. But that worked really, really well. And then, um, yeah, that really great shot. I don't think that was meant to be a chip, was it? I thought that was like a Genia kick to the sideline. Which Foley just chased and turned into something. Uh, oh, I think oh, that was called. Yeah, Foley. Foley was line ball to Genny as soon as the moment he kicked it, and yeah. and was and was. I think he called it. Okay. Yeah, I well, think it was well, utilising. Well, it was just before Ben Smith came back on. I think, and I think it was finally they had an opportunity to uh, to make the most of the the one man advantage, and um, and they did. Mm. But then we just seemed to get snuffed out. I, I almost I need to. 
you know, look back through that because it j- just seemed to get taken away. You know, we were suddenly four points and we thought, oh, hello, we can claw back into this and, and actually we can get it if we can just get – and the All Blacks just seemed to be freezing up a little bit. And um, if we can just get, you know, a little bit more, you know, pressure, like, a, you know, three points, get it within a kick by the end. Um, but then suddenly I guess that's where Carter came through and well, kind of earned his boons. I'll say it. I think that's the best World Cup drop goal ever. Uh, look, and it's hard. The, the drop goal cops a lot of flack, but it's played some iconic roles and a lot of fantastic World Cup moments, be they Johnny Wilkinson winning. And I guess that's probably the world number one, isn't it? But yeah. for what cut, that's the skill involved. I mean, Wilkinson was lined up and it was all that sort of stuff. And even Rob Andrews had a bit of time back in 1995. But that uh, prop off your right and then back to your left and, and shoot it through from what? 45 out. Was a remarkable kick, you know. I, I just thought that was a, a sign of a classy player, and he went on and got a deserved man of the match. I thought, but that was that was the moment that uh, that broke it. You know, we, we had fought back, and it was you know we were getting close. It was only, and, you know, you know they were replacing players. Miller Scooter was off, Coles was off. I was like, oh wow, this is you know this is really interesting. We we are a shot. Then all of a sudden, bloody Carter drops that piece of magic. You know what? It's funny. You look at the game as a whole, and. and... It transpired in a, in a way that a lot of our games have transpired this year, except we're in, in reverse in the sense that we're on the other end. A bit like England and a bit like Argentina, where you know we would shoot out to a lead early and we'd get pegged back in those middle minutes and then kick away at the end. And I think the same thing kind of happened with your yeah. All Blacks. And we just did too much work in that first half and we just made too many tackles and it just told in those last sort of 15 minutes. And in the end, they got that last breakaway try to put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. But, but in reality, we had a lot of time to crack them down. Like Argentina had a lot of time to crack us down. But in the end, you know, they were just we were just made to do too much work early and, and probably didn't quite have what it what it took to, to to make that one more breakthrough that we needed to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, positives. I mean, I guess some of the good performances made anyone from a Wallabies perspective. Uh, well, you know, look, the shoe in, uh, you know, stock standard David Pocock yep. uh, had to start out yet again. Um, I was pretty disappointed. I, I, we're probably going to come on to this, but I was I was pretty disappointed he didn't pick up player of the year. I just think his cons- consistency through every match was quite amazing. Um, yeah, Dan Carter, you know, won the World Cup final. But, um, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, I thought he was just amazing throughout the, the tournament and uh, didn't back down in the final against... You know, a quite an amazing um, uh, team that he was playing against, and yet again was just pulling balls out of rucks where he had no right to do so. Um, I thought that, yeah, so I thought he was really good. The other guy who I thought came on um, and for the second week running made a massive difference was Tatafi Plotter now. Oh, absolutely. He was suddenly the only guy who could bend the line and was doing it um, at ease. Um, So, yeah, I think he found his his own space there, actually. He he was probably the guy, like I said, it's a bit fuzzy. I need to watch it again as well, but he really stood out. Yeah, he has in his short sort of cameos um, this uh, World Cup been a real standout. Hugh, anyone you want to mention? Yeah, yeah. I I was walking out with a couple of mates and after the game and on the train and one of them turned to me and said, look, I've been thinking about it, and is it possible that our best player was Kurtley Beale? Mm. And, and I thought about it for a while, and I said, yeah, I think it might have been. Mm. Um, you know, coming on after, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and, you know, at the time I thought it was madness. I thought Matt Tamil was the guy we needed to put on in that circumstance, considering how physical the game was. Um, but he just he just added a spark to it that we really needed, I think, and created a lot of our attacking opportunities. And, and while he didn't, you know break the line, he looked like doing it on a number of occasions, and, and um, his defence was good too, just, um, yeah, a really, really solid contribution in a back line that, you know, no one played particularly badly, but um, we, we certainly struggled to make any inroads, and he was the only one that looked like doing anything. Yeah, I'm with you, he sort of, mid-match, during the end of the match, you know, immediately after, he was probably my thought of our player of the match, obviously, Green and Gold Rugby, do our 3 2 ones to go towards our uh, Green and Gold Rugby uh, Wallaby Player of the Year. I, I, I went with Pocock, but Bill got my two. I thought he was excellent. He, I agree with you. He was the one that looked the most likely to crack that defensive line open. Um, as it was, it was the kick that did it, but uh, I thought Bill was fantastic. And the other one is, is the same old guy as Fardy again, who was uh, monstrous. And uh, Force fan, will ha- he'll have his article up 
probably tomorrow morning, um, looks at the effort of the likes of Pocock and Fardy in particular, and they carried a hell of a lot of the workload uh, in uh, in this particular game. And and uh, Force fans, a, a particular one, he does some fantastic analysis, a lot of work goes into it. He's a, a particular one of the work rate, I, I guess, sharing the load in the in the pack and, and in requiring the, the front row in particular to step up and do a lot of the work. And uh, these stats are really interesting. You'll see them tomorrow of how hard the all-black front row work and how they contributed across the park and, and how, by comparison, the Wallabies didn't. And it's probably more a game plan thing as much as anything, but is that something we need to look at is, is ensuring our, our front rowers are, are getting out and about and getting active at those those breakdowns a bit more. But uh, Fardy, once again, was uh, massive. I was interested in how early he came off, but I, I get the impression he was just stuffed. Yeah, he's been... Yeah. He's been amazing this this year. Uh, back to his uh, what was it a couple of years ago when he made his debut. Just he was as strong as anyone going around this World Cup, and um, uh, I could understand him having a break. The, the other interesting one was Dean Mum, who you know you know me, I'm quite critical of, but I think he topped the tackle count for the Wallabies. Now, obviously, he came on you know pretty early when Douglas went off, but he topped the tackle count, missed a crucial one at the end, but no, wasn't particularly crucial. It, the game was probably over, but missed an obvious one there. But uh, you know. Um, uh, good work right there, and a, a couple of turnovers that he got as well. Yeah, because well, didn't he also come in? I mean, I thought he—I thought it was the one before half time. He actually missed oh, was as that, well. That one was it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. which is oh, a pretty, right pretty crucial yeah, one. Yeah. And he looked stuffed. He'd only yeah. been on for about fifteen minutes. Um, he looked absolutely knackered by the pace of the game. Uh, but no interesting stat there about the work rate he puts in, which I think is obviously why he's in there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, as we said, the uh, the last-minute try that sort of blew it out. Probably unfairly, maybe fairly, I don't know. I think, uh, uh, who's that Kiri Journo, Kiwi Journo that uh, not even the Kiwis like Chris... Um, Ratui. Yeah, Ratui wrote an interesting piece saying, oh, you know, Wallabies were never in it. It was only that 10-minute period, which, you know, part of me believes, part of me thinks probably is a bit harsh as well. I think we, we battled hard to get back in that game. And, I, you know, I think even without the sin bin, we would have... Um, worked our way back into that game, uh, probably you know without changing the result. But I think the uh, the the play was there. That was not so much just because Smith was was absent. That that uh, that replacement, that sort of drive came back into the team. Um, anything else, guys? What else do we want to say about this game? I think this is a game. You know, going back to what we were talking about before at that 50 minute mark, I, I think it, the testament to Checker. I think you know. We were a bit flat that day, and and you know there's been there was certainly some a lot of flaws in our game plan, and the lineout was a bit of a shambles yeah. in particular. But you know, previous Wallaby teams probably would have, you know, not got beaten by 50 there, but certainly not made the game of it that we did on that occasion. And I was not sure that we could either, you know. And I think that the biggest testament to him and and this team as it is is the fact that we did come back and and. And really make a game of it. And you know, when Barrett scored his try, you know, it was the seventy-eighth minute. Yeah. So it wasn't like, yeah, you know, it, it was really right at the end. And we still had a, you know, a decent crack there. And um, you know, that, that consistency we've shown has been remarkable. And and um, to do that there was was a real real gutsy fight back. And you know, we got ourselves in that hole in that first half. But um, geez, we almost got out of it, didn't we? I mean, I didn't I didn't even believe we could do it at that 21-17. I kind of couldn't quite believe we were in with a shot. Um, <laughs> but for a split second there, I thought, yeah, we might have actually been able to do it. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I thought also, um, you know, again, uh, you know, the, the whole pace of the game and everything flattened up when Phipps came on again. Um yeah. And Taff, Taff was there, and suddenly we were getting over the game line, and I thought, oh, we're starting to put a bit of pressure on here. Yeah, uh, I, I thought after after giving him a big rap last week, I thought Will Genny was poor. Yeah, I agree. Uh, apart from his kick kick to set up that Kurandrani try, um, it's just his service was just a little bit slow and about, and about half a you know about twenty centimeters behind where it should be almost every time, and it just stunted our momentum. You know, we needed the ball out in front of our forward runners, and they it, and it just more often than not, wasn't, and he had his, you know, his trademark charge down box kick, and and just, yeah, look, I think it was a bit of a bit of a symptom of how we were playing was was his form, and and symptomatic of the whole team just being just that tiny little bit off the pace. Yeah, I, I thought 
I thought Phipps could have come on earlier. I thought, uh, with you, Matt, I thought that was a type of game where his, uh, his up-tempo play made an impact and would have continued. It's hard to say. You know, Getty was on there for those two tries. Likewise, I thought Holmes could have come earlier. I thought it was a time to start attacking that scrum where it was parody, if not they were over the top of us sort of thing, and that we needed to... We know the strength of that uh, that second front row, and I think we needed to attack a bit more, but, uh, but uh, it's all in the past now. Um... Uh, interesting from a, one of the, I guess, not so much about the game, but around it is the uh, the ratings. I think the figures are starting to dribble in, and, and um, as Australians love a bandwagon, uh, I think it's got to be in excess of a million uh, a million people watching the game, uh, which is astronomical for a three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> uh, whatever time it is in Perth over there. But uh, that's incredible figures. And that doesn't include all the people in pubs too. No, nah, no, nah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think you look back at uh, the 2003 final, which is still, I think, the highest. Uh, I think it might have dropped behind the Australian one of the Leighton's Australian Open final, the highest ranking um, rated a sporting event in Australian history. But that was just over four million, so you know, significantly more. But still, compare a prime time. Uh, World Cup final with uh, 2 a.m. and it's uh, it's pretty good numbers. So look, there's been some great articles recently. Matt's yours, Hugh's yours about the positive. This you know, Hugh, I thought your article was perfect in terms of encapsulated that game and uh, it was broader than the game and the you know the the positiveness that we can still feel. And then Matt um, and Jamie's in fact you know today talk about where we're going from Australian rugby and things are good, aren't they, guys? It, you know, it's a we should be feeling positive about what's what's happening. We should. I think the, th- the thing that, as I kind of touched on then, the thing that we've managed to discover in this World Cup, and, and it's been the big takeaway for me, is is consistency. You know, s- sitting back at the start of this year and looking at our draw, and you know, we'd have thinking we'd have to win six games in a row against top ten teams, and I thought there was no way in hell we were going to do that. I thought we'd be lucky to get to three because this Wallaby team in the past has been able to string together a couple of performances. And then we'd go off the ball for one or two games. And then we'd come back and we'd start to build something. And then we'd have a shocker and it'd be back to square one. And that's been the way it's been for the past sort of three or four years almost. And and this World Cup and this year, I suppose you could probably say the Eden Park Politico was a bit of an was a bit of a shocker. But we've we've shown this remarkable consistency and ability to sort of play right through games and to um, really perform. You know. And score tries. You know, you remember that one year of Robbie Deans where we were scoring on average one try a game, and it seems yeah. so far in the past that you know we 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 just scored, you know, I think what six in the last two rounds of a World Cup, which you know we, is more than we've ever scored more tries than we've ever scored in a World Cup final uh, by scoring two or equal equal yeah. to the to the France game. But it's um it it's a it's a really good place to read now that. You know, players aside, um, we just got this consistency of performance where you know more and more people are going to tune in and and, and win or lose. You know that team's going to be right there. At, you know when when the game's on the line and and you know putting forward a really good performance that we can all be proud of. And that was what Checker did with the Waratahs, um, and he turned that that team around. And I think it's what he's done with the Wallabies as well. That consistency is 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 his greatest asset. Yeah, indeed. Um... And as Jamie articles, Jamie's article said today, is we've got this uh, character amongst the Australian team. We're back recognising what this Australian team's all about and how they'll play a game. And what we saw in this World Cup is they do have game plans that they can adapt to and they play differently for England and Wales and Argentina and Scotland. They need to do that, um, which is great. And it's, it's a lot of hope looking forward in 2016 with a three-test series versus uh, England and then uh, you know the full rugby championship and with all due respect to the World Cup, nothing else to distract us. It'll be fascinating to see what Michael uh, Chica can get out of this um, this Wallaby side with just yeah. that to focus on. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you've and um, you know, the Bledisloe is just around the corner. Yeah, you know, it, that's the that's the one, right? So that's the next one. We'll exactly. Need, we need to pick up. There's not going to be any Dan Carter. Um, but, you know, they've got a couple of pretty able replacements there, skill-wise. Um, I think Richie is the big question. Um, I think when the All Blacks, when he goes, I think he's going to leave a big void. And, and whenever he's not been there over recent years, we, our winning percentage has gone skyrocketing up um, compared to where it is um, otherwise. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, I mentioned it in my Rev Up article, was um, 
you, you look at the age group of our back row, um, where Fardy's the oldest on 30, David Pocock's 27, and then Michael Hooper's 24. Mm. Um, and you compare that against the All Blacks, where it's McCaw on 34, Kano 32, and then Reed on 30. Um, you know, there's longevity there. Uh, these guys are picking up, and you know, guys like Fardy are probably going to get pushed by guys like McMahon, you know, and, and those sorts of fellas. So, I mean, you know, I think there's there's a, there's a lot of bright that's there. Um, if we can bring a little bit more talent that you know to come through now, behind some people who seem to know where they're going. I think we're going to see a bit of a shaking out um, of some of those older players. Like, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Quaid, um, for example. Um, and then, you know, we're going to have to fill some holes like Gitz, I think, is, is obviously moving, is, you know, uh, I think it sounds like he thinks he's kind of moving on there. Ashley Cooper as well sounds like, um, yeah, he might be moving on, those sorts of things. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but you kind of feel that it's at least heading in the right direction. It's yeah. funny, you, you look at how young that team is, and, and our team is young. I mean, the other one is Tavita Kurunzrani. He's 24, yeah, you know? that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and, and there's no one is a real lay-down Mazaire to retire, um, in, you know, in the next two, one or two years. I mean, with the rules as they are, with the 60 cap rule, Ashley Cooper and Gitto and Mitchell... They don't have to make a call. They can just kind of yeah. opt to pick up the phone in June and see where their circumstances are. Um, and I think that's a, that's you know one of the really good things about that rule is you know they can keep playing in France and they don't have to put a pen through their career. They can just sort of see how they feel when the time comes and if they want to come back for a few weeks, then great. And and uh, if not, then then we can kind of find someone else. Um, Sokopi Kepu is the one that's a little bit concerning. Who seems to have ruled out coming back, which is worrying because he's one we really need um, mm. to to be firing, uh, especially with Greg Holmes getting on in in uh, in years as well. But um, yeah, you know, there's no one you would out and out suggest wouldn't be around, you know, in in four years' time. Probably, I think Gito's the oldest and he's 32, so probably maybe 33. So maybe not him, but. There's, there's, you know, every chance that Adam Ashley Cooper's even said he, he might be around in four years' time. So, so I mean, it's doubtful, but you never know with these guys. And the longevity these days is they can, they're all playing that little bit longer, and Richie's still going strong at 34. So, anything's possible. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I was prepared to sort of call this the last test of, you know, Gitto, Mitchell, Gideon, uh, Ashley Cooper, and Keppel, and obviously, um, Quaid and Palo early this World Cup, but of those first five I named, yeah, why not? Why not just go back and enjoy your uh, sojourn overseas and weigh things up in, you know, three and a half years? I don't think there's any value in picking them before that, you know, um, unless there's a dire injury consequence. But, you know, I'm sure Michael Chico would be looking to build, you know, bring in the younger players or at least the, the next in line, the Tamuas and, and the likes. Um, but always have these guys up his sleeve. So who knows? We can't rule them out just yet, hey? Mm. Um, we should mention it too. That, so the World Rugby had their uh, annual dinner, I guess, whatever it is, overnight, and there were some player awards and, and, and I guess, team awards and whatnot, and the obvious one is the All Blacks won the team award. Um, Matt, you alluded to earlier, Carter won the Player of the Year award, which I, I tend to agree was, seems... A questionable, a reward for a, a couple of good games in the World Cup, but I think even earlier this year, some of the All Black fans were questioning whether he should hold on to the 10 spot, whereas, you know, Pocock's been superb and and, and re, quite genuinely superb in every Test match he's played this year. So um, it's an interesting one. Apparently he just pipped Pocock at the end there. Um, Hugh, do you agree with that, or do you think that's a fair enough uh, uh, award for Carter? Yeah, I think it is fair enough. I, I I tend to look at these things and weigh the grand final very heavily, and that was that was a sublime performance from a from a true legend who we all thought was past it. You know, I, I think yeah. hand on heart, well, I thought he was past it two years ago, and he's been injured and battling. You know, he hobbled off in that Super Rugby grand final after playing a pretty dire twenty minutes a couple of years ago last year, and and you know uh, somehow out of nowhere he's just recaptured this form that he had in the 2005 Lions series, you know, mm. 10 years ago. And he's just just floating around the field, making plays, beautiful passes, kicking like, you know, kicking incredibly well. Um, look, I think Pocock's you know, probably a little bit hard done by there, but 
But um, you can't fault Carter the way he played in the, in the knockout rounds of the World Cup. So I think the way these are rewarded is they always tend to tend to weigh the final almost entirely. I mean, you remember four years ago when Jerome Kano was just massive through the whole year and still lost out to Thierry Doucetois, who, you know, yep. played, a, played a barnstormer in the final, but, um, you know, was, wasn't the player of the year by any stretch. So... It's 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 weird. It's all these ex-players, and they make very strange. Even the nominees were strange. I mean, how Ma yeah, Nonu yeah, wasn't right. wasn't there yeah. it was a, was an absolute outrage. I mean, he should should be the player of the year for mine. He was he was brilliant, and again in the final, he was brilliant too. But um, was that, had Alan Wynne Jones in there. Alan Wynne Jones. I mean, <laughs> it's it's I, I don't know. I haven't been watching Wales that closely this year, but I didn't think he was anything particularly special. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think it's a joke. And that team of the year that they picked, the team of the World Cup, there was a few strange ones there too. I mean, Stephen Moore got picked. And I mean, I'm a pretty rabid one-eyed Wallaby fan, and I wouldn't have picked Stephen Moore in the top three or four hookers in the tournament. I thought he was... Ghetto at 12. Yeah. 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 I mean, again, you know, we thought he was great, but he certainly wasn't the 12 of the tournament. No. Uh, Yeah, exactly. There's... Yeah. No Fardy and all... Anyway, plenty of ones there, but I guess the the big award we should... um, Talk about it, which, which is probably you know the most um, uh, important award is the coach of the year where our boy Cheeks uh, took it away from uh, Steve Hansen. I don't know who else was nominated, but that's uh, it's always hard <laughs> voting against the World Cup winning uh, coach. But um, uh, probably due, due uh, uh, recognition of how far uh, Michael has uh, taken this Wallaby team in 12 months' time, don't you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean. Quite amazing how he's managed to turn the the whole place around, um, and it's you know it's the team, it's the culture, but then it's the big decisions. Um, you know where you and Mackenzie kind of walked in and seemed to suddenly limiting, you know, kept limiting himself within a box. Like you know, I can't hire the people I want, I can't make any decisions or changes. Checker just said stuff that you know I'm going to give myself every chance and us every chance I can. So I'm going to get the right coaches. I'm going to reach out to the top people. You know, across the provinces, I don't give a shit. Um, I'm going to just find somebody to sort this scrum out once and for all. I don't give a shit who it is. Well, as in, you know, I'm just going to find the best person I know I can find and then, um, you know, and stuff this international caps thing. And he made all those changes and all of those, I mean, that, that you know, yes, his man management and all of that is fantastic. But I think those bigger decisions had a had probably far more impact than I still think that we credit and will, on, will have an ongoing impact. Um, so, you know, I think he really, you know, he stepped that up to a whole, a whole new level, actually. If anything, you know, there are still chinks in the armor there. Like, you know, for the same way that we got, the Tars got found out in the semi final this year, you know, I kind of feel like that happened to us in the final. Um, you know, we, 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 we can still be outthought and outcoached, um, in these teams. And so there's still a, there's still a, a, a weak point there, but geez, to come from, sixth in the world and an absolute rabble um, through to a team. And, I mean, look, I don't know if they've just got better press management or what it is, but there has not been a whimper of us or a, a sniff of a scandal anywhere, has there? No, not at all. I mean, you know, no, you know, unless, like I say, unless they're just managing it a lot better. But, you know, last time we were doing any sorts of tours, there were piss-ups in bars and, you know, nights out in Hungry Jacks and all sorts of stuff, and we haven't seen anything like that. It doesn't look like anyone would dream of it. Um, all right, the other big award that was uh, given out at the uh, World Rugby Dinner was <laughs> Sonny Bill Williams' uh, winner's medal. Um, Matt, your, your thoughts? <laughs> oh, look, yeah, I, I'm, I'm at risk of labelling myself as the cranky bastard and, you know, probably, I don't know, Hugh, I don't know your opinion on this one, but you, you might see it differently, I don't know, but I just, yeah, can someone tell me what this kid did to deserve a Rugby World Cup winner's medal? Nothing. Um, I'm, I'm right with you. I mean, you know, I just, I, I'm pretty flabbergasted. And it turns out this kid wasn't some Kiwi fan who'd made the trip over and, you know, and was there to see his. This kid is a private. He goes to, uh, is it, I want to say Millhouse. I think it's Millfield, which is uh, one of the most expensive schools in the UK in, in England. Um, yeah, and his parents are wealthy expats. And um, and he's yeah, he's just jumped the fence, run on. Sure, the security guard got a little heavy-handed, but, I mean, you know, that's what security guards are paid to do, right? He doesn't know if the kid's got a knife or a what. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly um, right. 
So someone tell me why this kid deserves to be given a, a World Cup medal. And then, okay, let's say Sonny Bill is just a bit out there and decides to do it. And by the way, if anyone's watched the footage, Sonny Bill knows who's watching, right? Like there are 300 cameras and he, he walks the guy around in front of them before he does the whole – it's not like he says, oh, there you go, kid, have the medal. He, he seems to kind of think about it for five minutes or so before he then kind of, in front of all the cameras, puts it over the kids sort of thing. So, okay, so maybe he's just been a bit of an eccentric and he wants to do that. Fine, mate, you're giving your medal away. For the world rugby, yeah. I think they've made a few big missteps actually in this, in this this tournament, which have been a bit they've been a bit off. Like the whole Craig Joubert thing was off. This was then off because not only did they get now. Let's say they'd said, okay, mate, you've been a deal, but here's your medal. You don't make a big procession out of it. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't believe they did that. Um, and But, I mean, you know, look, again, I sat here thinking maybe it's just me because all the English journos were falling over themselves on Twitter about how what a selfless act this was for, a, for, a, for another selfless act. I couldn't believe it. Mate, I, mean, I, I yeah, I'm right there with you, and, and your, all your arguments are exact same as mine. I'm keen to hear Hughes, but as someone who sort of worked in that industry, and I think you know my former role and, and, and putting on those sorts of games, mate, it was my biggest fear someone entering the field, field, and I can only imagine all stadium managers and event managers out there now thinking, holy Christ, this guy's just rewarded a, a pitch invader. Um, and uh, what's going to happen next year? You know, mm. anyone could run. We, you know, we criticised the, the South African guy ran out of the field earlier in the World Cup. So clearly security aren't doing their job too well. That guy's a lame bastard trying to get close to his heroes. All of a sudden, this kid's a hero and he gets a World Cup winner's medal out of it. Hugh, tell us how old and, you know, off target we are. No, no, you're pretty much right. I mean, I when I woke up the next day and saw the headline, because I wasn't, you know, watching the parade, because... You know, I'm not that sadistic. No. Um, <laughs> no, I, no. You know, I saw the headline, Sonny Bill Williams gives gives medal to a kid. You know, I think it was something like that, you know. And I thought, oh, great, you know, this is some, obviously some all-black fan, some kid with cancer or something, you know, one of those sort of inspirational kind of stories or, or a, fa- a really big fan of his or something, you know. No, no, just a, just some random kid that wandered onto the ground at the end of the game. Wasn't even Kiwi. He was a Brit, you know. <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense. So, so in that case, just give him your, give him your jersey, give him a hat, a sock give him or something, yeah, a sock. Give him, you know, a, a nice pat on the back and, and yeah, a, a pound for the turf. I don't know. Like it, it's just, it was just a whole bizarre thing to do to give you. And then yeah, the whole. Giving him a, giving him his medal presented like like he's some sort of saint for for rewarding this little you know little shit of a kid who <laughs> thought he could run out on the ground. I mean, come on, he's fourteen. It wasn't even like he was five. If he was a toddler or something, you go, yeah, okay, well, yeah. you know, he could it, wear it for a couple of minutes. Let him go. The, yeah, no, no, this this whole thing's ridiculous, totally ridiculous, and and it's symptomatic a little bit of the coverage after the game where. You know, a bit of a wider criticism, and it's not the fault of the rugby journos who I know are putting in a really good, you know, putting in a, done a great job and, and churning out a lot of content like they have to, because there's only, you know, one or two of them at each paper, and they've got to fill, you know, four or five pages every day with their own stuff. But, you know, some of this conflated conflict and outrage after the game where, you know, Matt Gitto gave Michael Checker a gobful, gobful you know, yeah. after he failed the concussion protocols and you read the quote and that was what michael that's that was how michael checker phrased it it wasn't that someone saw matt Guido shouting at checker it was just checker's comments in the post-match press conference and the same thing with you know he michael checker made an offhanded remark about not being able to sing the anthems with the team and of course that becomes michael checker slams yeah. world rugby you know <laughs> michael checker and and so the you know it, they made it sound like oh michael checker you know I think I can't remember what it was like lashes out in the press conference as if he'd stormed in there, you know, waving his fists and 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 just teeing off on anything that came near him. No, he just it was one line in in a in a probably half hour press conference, and all of a sudden that that becomes you know Michael Checker's angry outburst. It, it's it it's it seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, it does absolutely. I think it's the um, you know the, the effect of having these middle-of-the-night games, social media, already the results are out there, news. These got to, as you say, these guys have got to find other stories and they've they got, almost got to make them up 
by the time everyone's up and, and ready to read the papers again. Um, yeah. World Cup final done, guys. Are we done on the World Cup officially, washing our hands of it? Anything else you want to say, Matt? No, just, I mean, look, we've kind of end, ending on a bit of a grumpy note, note there, I guess. Um, it, it was a fantastic World Cup, wasn't it? I think we all enjoyed it. Um, it. It showed rugby's at a new level. I think. Um, you know, I think the what were the minnows who are no longer minnows have brought it all up to a whole nother level. Um, I think the top. It, it also showed that the um, southern hemisphere teams have, have also kind of walked away another level. I think from uh, the northern hemisphere teams. So that's all been pretty interesting. It's kind of put, you know, what were the minnows in a mix now. Um, with a lot, and like, you know, people now talking about Georgia joining the Six Nations, um, and things like that. So, I think overall, um, apparently the grounds were at 98% capacity. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely which is, amazing. Isn't that amazing? Um, so I think it was over 2 million people, um, yep. uh, visited, uh, you know, or, or, or saw a match live. So, you know, that's quite amazing. Um, I think they kept breaking, uh, you know, viewer records, even though they put the final on at the most ridiculous time. And I, I actually, I'm not joking about that. Can, why is it? This, sorry, I'm back to ranting for a second, but I've got to get this one off my chest. You know, they played the third, fourth, well, the third yeah. thing. They played that at eight and nine o'clock in the morning yeah. at, at Twickenham, which was on the Friday night. So, I mean, I've been at a concert at Twickenham on a Saturday night. So don't tell me it can't empty out at 10, 11 o'clock at night and do it quite successfully. Um, there was absolutely no reason why that thing should have been at, at that time. It was just just nuts. And the fact then that you had you know the two teams playing it, their supporters having to get up at the most ridiculous times, and you've just crueled also all of that television. Um, I just whatever what decision making went on there, I do not know. Um, anyway, apart from that, um, yeah, I think uh, the rest of it was fantastic. It was a fantastic World Cup, and it's been a fairy star, fairy tale for us. I think um, would have been lovely to have the cherry on the cake, but you know there you go. Q, any final words on the World Cup? Um, nah, not really. Good tournament, good fun, good rugby across the board. Best team won. Can't no complaints. Yep, bring I it think... on in Japan. Four years time. Spent. Yeah, absolutely. I think yes, yeah, spent exactly. Look, all I'll add there is that um, doesn't it make the 2016 Sansa Super Rugby Rugby Championship season really exciting? The fact that we've you know let alone New Zealand as World Championships and their teams, Australia second place and 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 their um, our teams in Super Rugby South Africa third place obviously, but now we've got Argentina new who are now a world class team and we'll have a bloody good Super Rugby team. But we've also got Japan who's sort of everyone's favourite second favourite team now after the success of the World Cup, yeah. all playing Super Rugby next year. So what a fantastic tournament. Uh, that hopefully will be, but it'll be uh, definitely something to watch. And I, I guess, um, uh, you know, I'll talk about the NRC in a second, but Hugh, for all those new rugby enthusiasts or reinvigorated rugby enthusiasts, the next real rugby in Australia is the Sevens down in Sydney in uh, February next year, which keeps getting more and more exciting. The Club Sevens is going to be a part of it too. Uh, it's going to be sensational. Um, and just, just quietly, you know, they've sold roughly, they're looking at, uh, at the moment, as, as we stand, if the games will be played tomorrow, a crowd of about 25,000 for both days. I heard this um, on, on Saturday from the ARU guys at the NRC. That's more than, already, more than they, I don't think, I think they ever, ever had on the Gold Coast on either exactly. day. Exactly. So, and so, and that's before they even sort of launched the big push over Christmas and 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 into the new year. So, if you're looking for a Christmas presents for mates or family or or, or anyone, um, Sydney Sevens tickets are a great one. They're thirty bucks a thirty bucks a day. So, I need to get my shit together. You, you can't go wrong because um, it's going to be a belter of a day. You know, if if as projected, the crowds are thirty thousand plus for both days. It's it's going to be an absolute belter. Yeah, indeed. Um, look, it wasn't the uh, World Cup fantastic. Thanks to everyone all involved and all the coverage. But we also had the NRC wrap up on Saturday afternoon. A cracking day at Ballymore. Just a really beautiful day. Uh, warm, not too hot. Uh, 3.05 kickoff, so afternoon rugby at Ballymore. Um, a crowd of about 4,500. To be honest, for the first time, I think they must have they might have undercooked that. It looked a little bit more than that. But it was a really good crowd, good atmosphere. And a, a good win to Brisbane City, who... Uh, won the game 21-10. It was a really interesting game. The Vikings scored within a minute. Uh, really strong scrum. You know, we talk about the focus on the scrum in the NRC this year and that this final was no 
uh, no different. And the, the Vikings really had the ascendancy in that first half in particular. And this Alan Alatoa from uh, the Vikings um, at loose head top was giving Sam Talakai from the Reds a, a real uh, a tough time and a strong scrum early on. Itavia combined with Joey Powell down the blind and put Frankie Fainafo over for a, a try, like I said, in the first couple of minutes. So, you know, as a, as a City fan, I was a little bit concerned, but... Uh, Caden Neville was soon over, using all two metres of his uh, length to, to sort of go, go, gadget arm over the line. And But the Vikings were back again. Isaac Thompson, I think the fullback scored soon afterwards, and it was 10-8 uh, uh, after about 15 minutes. And we thought, OK, this is NRC rugby. Try for try for try for try. But then it really tightened up. And the defence, that defence was actually really solid, really strong. You know, it wasn't fantastic rugby. There. I think the City particularly dropped a, a bit of ball and left a few tries out there. But uh, Nick Frisby eventually scampered over from one of these drop balls and in, in the, gosh, must have been about five minutes to go, um, which is pretty crucial, put us in the lead uh, at 13-10 uh, at the half. And then there wasn't another point scored until about five minutes to go when uh, Alex Gibbon... Uh, ran off a Jake McIntyre inside ball to score under the post, um, and took and that was the game basically 21-10. Um, uh, Nick Frisby got man of the match, but uh, honestly, I would have given it to Andrew Reddy, the the City hooker, who was monumental. But uh, the Alex Gibbon try was uh, a, a really poignant moment uh, earlier that day. I don't know if you guys saw the the article that that was in Rugby News. Paul Cook wrote, but it was an amazing insight to Alex Gibbon, this young. A young winger who I think has got a hell of a lot of potential has played Australian sevens and is a really good player and has done well. I think it is five starts for Brisbane City, but his uh, his life story is quite mind blowing and it's worthwhile worthwhile looking up. I think we posted it on the Green and Gold Rugby Twitter on Saturday, so go back and have a look at it because uh, that was uh, quite the read. But uh, Brisbane City are the uh, the hold on to their NRC title for the second year in a row and. Um, and uh, I think they're undefeated since round seven last year. So uh, congratulations to Nick Styles and uh, Liam Gill and, and the whole team there. It was a, it was a great performance to seal the deal there. Uh, they they were yep. worthy. Yeah, well, look, they were worthy champions, weren't they? And, and to come off with an undefeated season is, is just a fantastic, fantastic achievement in Australian rugby, especially when, you know, they've got a good side. But uh, Perth, Canberra and, and Melbourne have got super, you know, almost super rugby quality teams that they're fielding. Um, and with a lot of really classy players, so it's great to see great to see some of the young players come through. And Brisbane City deserved it. I mean, I don't think they're at their best on some, no. on Saturday. They, yeah, as you said, a lot of drop ball, and, and I think you know Karevi and Karindrani were probably not not uh, quite as as good as I've seen them. And Carmichael Hunt probably didn't inject himself in the game as much as as he could have. Um, but uh, they they just gutsed it out and kept in it, and their defence was was really solid. And Liam Gill, you know, I mean, I think he's going to be the sort of best player never to hit the heights of international rugby because he's just superb. He's he's all class and he led that side um, through through the match and and was uh, was great in the finish. And that try to Alex Gibbon was was really well worked and um, and yeah, capped off what was a remarkable story for Alex Gibbon. And yeah. that article, I thoroughly recommend it again. Reg, just reiterate what you said because it, it's um, we should put it up on the podcast uh, on the on the web page there yeah, on, okay. the, on the yeah, article because yep. um, it's it's it should be yeah. look a fantastic end to to a great tour and and congratulations to everyone involved in the NRC you guys that that uh, you know have, have done well to support it and Fox Sports you know Sean Maloney Steve Hoyles um, and those guys to do well and yourself Reg as yes. I said. You know, on Twitter, you've done an absolutely fantastic job, you know, covering it each week. And, and I don't think people realise the time spent and the hours that, that go into to, to writing and putting up and putting up posts and following it. games. And, you know, you've got a wife and kids and, and all that sort of thing that, that, that have, you know, it must be, it must be very um, difficult and time-consuming and, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Um, it's, it's fantastic and, and I think... Um, it's it's really valuable in in the in the context of the competition. Guys like you and you know Brett Mackay, I know who who's been on this podcast a bit, also does it as well. And um, you know, the, the, just as important to the competition as as um, a lot of the players and administrators is getting that coverage. So um, well done to you, and hope hopefully we can all chip in and help out next year as well. Yeah, yeah, well done, yeah. 
Thanks, Matt. Thanks to you. Yeah, no, loved it. It was a lot of work, but I, I love the tournament. I had a good chat to the, the Bill Corp guys, the sponsors on Saturday, and they they love it as well. Uh, they're saying the Fox numbers, particularly for the finals, the semifinals, are really good. They're really happy with the AU, happy with Fox, were happy with it, and they expect the um, the, the grand final to be even more. I haven't seen those figures yet, but they were they're really happy, and I think there'll be an ex- a bit of an ejection from the AU next year as well. Uh, more from a funding perspective. So it's all really exciting. Lots of potential for the NRC. So, Matt, I, I, I'm guessing this will probably be our last podcast for a while, mate. There's no point uh, coming back un, until oh, probably next year? No, I think so, mate. I think yeah. we've earned ourselves a, a good rest. So to all our listeners, thanks for uh, being so supportive and, and the push you gave us uh, these last few weeks it's fantastic to Dropbox once again. Thanks for your support uh, in, in making it all happen. To Hugh, uh, thanks for being your regular uh, uh, input and, and your thoughts and, and contribution. And Matt, of course, your leadership and, and your contribution as well. And to everyone involved, uh, awesome year Australian rugby, awesome year for Green and Gold Rugby. And thanks for your support. And we shall uh, see you on the blog, but we'll hear from us next year. See you, guys. See ya. Right there, right there.